Avengers Infinity War. Now, nothing will ever be the same. Can anyone make sense out of all that's happened? These guys are going to try. Peter Melnick, local newspaper production associate, comic book enthusiast, and podcast pontificator. And Eddie Wilson, upstate New York morning radio broadcast announcer in the Sullivan Catskills, inundated with an inordinate amount of catching up in his own comic book universe. What happens next? Listen up, true believers. It's time for another episode of The Marvelists. I can't believe I'm home. But I could ever be so lucky. We're not lucky. We are blessed. All right, everybody, quiet down. This is the first family reunion we've had in five years. To the future! The future. something my family would never see. They thought they murdered me. They were wrong. They were dead wrong. That man must die. Your memories kill you. They can't kill me. I'm already dead. Thomas Jane, John Travolta. Make Castle dead. Whatever it takes. Whatever it costs. This is not revenge. It's punishment. Welcome, everyone, to The Marvelists. I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. And before we get into the topic matter at hand of 2004's The Punisher, or The Punisher, because he's, he's the only one, he's The Punisher. Yes. Well, before we get into that topic matter, what we want to talk to you people about how you can get a hold of us on social media. Please do. Go on Facebook.com slash The Marvelists. And give us a like on there and join the growing number of fans. I always edit out like the number at that point because it's already like long past it. When we had four thousand, there was an audio clip getting ready of three thousand. Ooh, impressive, right? No way. So way. We got we got a number, folks. We got a number, and we all thank you for being a part of that number. Go on the Twitter at the Marvelous or the Marvelous, whichever you prefer. I'm trying to be diversifying. <laughs> yeah. You can also give us a follow individually at Peter Melnick and at. E. Wilson 959. Hey. You can also find us on Instagram, which we're using a lot more once again. Uh, Give us a follow. What, mine first this no, time? No, no, the show. Oh, The Marvelous. At The Marvelous. You can also follow us individually at Peter Melnick and yourself. At Eddie9193. It's a beautiful number, isn't it? It is. It's got a three in it. It's three got two nines. Like the dog knight, too. Three. It adds up to 22, I guess. I think so. 10, 19, 20, yeah, okay. I was an art student. I, do, I don't know math. Oh. You can also drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, we will take them, we will answer them, and we will like it. <laughs> <laughs> Show me your war face, Eddie. Really? It doesn't <laughs> translate well. Especially because this is a podcast and no one can see what we're doing. I'm happy I can see what I'm doing. We're just dancing, you know? You can't hear it, but we're dancing. No. That's from something else completely. Also, go on Stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelists. And get a free one-month trial of Stitcher Premium. When you do, you're going to have a plethora of content. And a plethora, too. Exactly. For your listening pleasure, including the most recent Weird Al Yankovic tour listings, every show in its entirety. (laughs) You can also listen to the WTF archives from Mark Marin, as well as many shows from Earwolf, including How Did This Get Made? But 
That isn't the only way that you can listen to The Marvelists. You can listen to us on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe, and give a five-star if you feel like it. We would love to see that five-star. We'd love to see that number go up because... There's only one way to go. Exactly. Up. Exactly. Oop. We're going to... Oop, Eddie. Oop. Oop. That's O-O-P, not U-P. Well, we're just going with like the literal pronunciation of looking at it. So, oop. Don't forget oop. the two dots on top. That's the umlaut. Ooh, I like umlaut. As in Motley Crue. Er, the bork, bork, bork. Oh, boy. Er, they're going to use the umlaut. Who let in the Muppet Swedish chef? I want to know now. Er, the cheeky, cheeky, cheeky. In the pot. Cheeky in the pot. Eddie, let's get into the meat and potatoes of Alrighty this episode. Then. Tonight's movie. If you're listening to this at night, I guess. The Punisher. From 2004. This was a movie released by Lionsgate and stars Thomas Jane as the Punisher alongside his arch foe, the dreaded John Travolta. Howard Saint. So I'm just going to get into the question at hand immediately. Oh, Oh my. Because this was actually... I took notes and everything. What are you doing? Well, let's, page and a half for crying out loud. We'll get to there. I, I think I think now is the time to ask this question. Okay. So the question we got from Matthew Mark Meyer is, out of all the actors in Hollywood, why John Travolta? Matthew, I don't know. I'm not aware of why, but I even admit. So when I was growing up, I loved this movie. It was cool. The set, like. 2004 Peter loved fart rock a lot, so hearing the music in this movie, such as the lead singer of Seether, who I don't know offhand right now, but I want to hold you high and steal your pan. Not pain, evidently, according to the lyrics, but pan. But I loved this movie. Yeah, and you're in a post-grunge era with these singers, just so you could throw what's-his-name from Creed in there also. Nickelback as well, Chad Kroger. He's a little bit, okay. They're on the soundtrack. You know what I'm I, saying? They all they have sound-alike uh, ability there. They all sound the same, indeed. Mm-hmm. But I used to love this movie, and to be completely honest, it has not aged that well. And I'm just going to say it now. 1989's Punisher is actually outranking this a little bit, just ever so slightly. <sighs> well, at least you saved yourself from my thing from ever so slightly. It's... Instead of it being, you know, a, a full head and arm's length of out-distancing it. But this movie was a strange choice to come out when it did because this was in a post-Columbine world. And it's funny you're bringing that point up because Charles Perallo had a question. Why and who was given all the love to The Punisher for these movies, you know, several that came out before some of the other big major names, character names? Well, you have to factor in, in the 1990s, the Punisher blew up as a character. He was big. He was very big. The 1990s, if you had to summarize them with characters, it was the X-Men, the Punisher. And when I say the X-Men, by the way, specifically Wolverine. Yeah, right. right. Maybe Spider-Man, and that's really pushing it. But that was mainly what the 90s were. And Venom. The 90s were the time of the anti-hero. You have Wolverine, you have Venom, you have the Punisher. So that could be the short answer, sure. I mean, I think I mentioned on the first Punisher podcast how many different titles that came out throughout the late mid to late 80s and into the 90s and, and into the 2000s and so on, and that they're still perpetuating. There are many The Punisher stories. Yep. Like vol- I think they're up to volume 10 or 11, which they haven't done that many of with other characters. Like, Spider-Man is up to, I believe, volume four of The Amazing Spider-Man. Oh, just that title you mean? The Punisher is Mm -hmm. a lot. I believe volume four was the 12-issue Garth Ennis series, which this movie actually heavily borrows from. With, like, characters like uh, Bumpo and the guy with the piercings. Yeah. They take a lot of these characters from the Ennis run, and Ennis's... Garth's work is heavily borrowed in this and especially in Punisher Warzone. Especially with the Detective Soap. Hmm. And it's cool to see that his work had that much of an impression so soon. Because Garth's work he started working on the character I believe in 98, 99 or 2000, like in that range. Mm-hmm. And for a movie that came out in 2004 to quickly adapt some of his the source material of his stuff is wild. Yeah. 
But on the topic of source material, this movie takes place in Tampa, Florida. Yeah, after the opening, if you watched like I had, uh, have the, the extended cut, you get a, uh, a prequel that is Frank Castle and his combat mates in arms on a Kuwait City mission in 1991. And it's about apprehending two terrorists, which they are about to when one of his comrades decides, you know what, they deserve to die, and things kind of go sideways. So that's a preface to coming into the beginning, the opening of the film, and I think that what's is essentially what makes it the extended cut. Well, what I want to ask you is, you said your version of the film was about 20 minutes longer than the main theatrical cut. The main theatrical cut is... Two hours. Two hours and three minutes. Mm-hmm. And your version was, I believe, two hours and 20-something minutes. 220, I believe, yeah. And what I want to know is, how long was that animated segment? It could have come up to about that much time. So like 20-minute scene, almost? <sighs> yeah, well, there could be some extra ones that are, are littered Extended throughout. scenes. Exactly, that I... Uh, didn't know otherwise because I didn't see this when it was in the theater. Neither did I. And when eventually I did get the DVD, this was the version that I was exposed to and so on. When I saw this movie, this was 2005, 2006, not long after it was released because the movie was 2004. I just never got around to watching it. Yeah. But this was this was a blockbuster must. Go to Blockbuster and they have their five DVDs for $20 sale and it's all used former rental copies. Right. And this was one of the movies I grabbed. And... When I think of this movie, I actually think of little things like that. This is what I associate it with. And I I just don't know how I feel about the movie drifting away from the source material. Well, you know, the first part, you, when you say drifting from the source material, I went to Wikipedia and printed out, got some info to kind of put my head in the right spot that um, he's driven, we know that, by the deaths of his wife and two children who were killed by the mob for witnessing a killing in New York City's Central Park. That's the origin that is the true-to-form one. So it becomes a one-man war on the mob, all criminals, using various firearms. But in the movie, it's a whole, whole, entire family wipeout. They ramp it up so much for this movie. I feel like this is... This movie would have been perfect in the 80s because it was just the concept of excess, you know? In that sense, yeah, and in you, excess, too. Great band from Down Under. You have a... You have... Oh, he... Only his wife and kid were killed? No, you have to kill everybody. And that, and that's as a result of uh, an operation, an exchange of, what, guns and money that happened, uh, you know, on a dock, and the Frank Castle character is Otto Krieg, which is not his name, of course... But he's, you know, undercover. They're doing this operation. And one of John Travolta's sons goes along, seeing if he can help. He winds up getting dead. And that's what spurs the mother, not John Travolta, but his wife, Livia, to say, to order the hit on the whole family. Every single member who just coincidentally, to find out, happened to be going on a family reunion to Puerto Rico, and it hadn't happened in five years, and Roy Scheider is Frank Castle Sr., as he's identified in the credits, and it's a complete wipeout. And that's one of the major changes from the source material, and one of our questions that was given to us was, given of how off they were from the source material, how do you think they did? And we'll get to the how did we think they did portion later on, but on the topic of it being off of the source material... Basing this movie in Tampa, Florida, back then when I watched this, I was indifferent, whatever cool, whatever, it's a movie, I get to see this, you know? One of my favorite characters gets to be on the big screen. Drifting it away from New York does annoy me a little bit, because when you think of that kind of stuff, the crime and all that, it's New York. And I like to think the reason that they changed that, they changed up the source material from New York City to Tampa, Florida, is when Rudy Giuliani was mayor of New York City, there was a decrease in crime, there was a change. Times Square was no longer the gritty, dirty place like it used to be in the 70s and 80s. Would they have called it Crime Square? Yeah, and it was... I just happened to think of that. They Disney-fied it. They made it this place where... You can take your family and have a great time and look at, you know, 
the guy who failed at Juilliard and now he's you know sitting in a urine-soaked Elmo costume that he wants you know to take a picture with you. But wow. they changed that. There's a graphic. <laughs> Can't unsee that one. Oh, and also the Iron Man. The Iron. You if you go to Times Square, there's a guy dressed as Iron Man. And he doesn't look at all like Iron Man. Okay. And also Freaky Woody from Toy Story. Eddie, I have nightmares of these people. You're sharing now. They invade my dreams. Well, they should stay there. They're like an awful version of the Dream Police. Wow. And you're bringing in a good, great band, too. I know. Okay. But with the change, I feel drifting away from New York City. Yes and no, it's a bad thing in my eyes. Because crime can happen anywhere. And if you have to drift it away from New York City, Tampa, fine, whatever. Drugs and all that, Miami well, see, Vice. I think of Miami to begin with and maybe take yeah. away from there too. Oh, Miami always gets the bad rap. And like you said, maybe it was a good thing to drift from New York because you don't want to taint the, the new image of New York that's happening in this time, Giuliani and so on. But, you know, Tampa, okay. Yeah, and I mean, you can't, you know, throw this movie in Cleveland, Ohio, because first off, that's Howard the Ducks territory. Oh, Cleveland. I just, it's the change of locale is an indifference to me. And that's, that's the lightest I will be with in regards to the quote unquote changes to this movie. Like this is, that's whatever. But then you see certain aspects like not incorporating certain characters. Microchip should have been in this. Microchip is Punisher's guy in the chair. Yeah, that's mentioned, of course, in the uh, Wikipedia version that he's he's there, and uh, Punisher being featured in in other titles and the like. You know, to, Microchip to is Microchip is featured in Punisher Warzone, which we'll be covering next. He's also featured in the Netflix Punisher series, mm. and I just think another change of him you mentioned is the aspect of him being an undercover cop. I don't know how I feel about that. Because correct me if I'm wrong, he was not an undercover cop in the comics. No. No, he was a former serviceman. And whether it was FBI or, you know, special forces. But one thing that did come through that I may have hinted at from last time and didn't realize, because on this extended version, they do show you some comic book covers as well. And one of them that I will post along with this, or have posted along with this podcast, was a uh, conception of the Punisher by the executioner, Don Pendleton, and this being a Vietnam veteran by the name of Mac Bolin, and he becoming a vigilante of sorts, a killer of criminals after the mafia-related deaths of his family. So there's a parallel there, and at least when that first starts out, I actually kind of wonder, it's a Marvel Presents magazine format style, I think, that you kind of first see the Punisher, and it does mention executioner, Don Pendleton in that style. So that's kind of an origin of a sort right there. You know, taking away from his first appearance in Amazing Spider-Man 129, this may be just as valuable as that, uh, as that issue, I drift. Now, I, I, I want to know, do you think the incorporation of Frank being an undercover cop was the writer's and the filmmaker's way of being like, well, this is what he did before he was the Punisher, but after the war stuff. Yeah, they're trying to make it, I think, as palatable to the viewer. That's all I can, that's my go-to, right, wrong, or otherwise. I just think that's the natural possible thing for a filmmaker to do is to to make it as uh, easily acceptable without having to think about it too much for a viewer. So maybe in a related kind of work, that's what's, you know, been done. And, yeah, because... The soldier aspect can be, for some people, very off-putting, I guess, you know? It can be, especially if you, as a viewer, or someone, you knew someone who was in the service and say, this is not at all what it's like having been in any branch of the service and then coming out and returning to regular, quote-unquote, normal civilian life. This is not how it usually happens. So there could be some off-putting with that, absolutely. Now, the other thing about this is... The portrayal of the Punisher by Thomas Jane. And I want to get into some element about him that as I was watching this, it kind of made the movie harder for me to watch. Listening to how he would deliver lines, the voice he used, he reminded me of a 1970s grindhouse trailer narrator. 
or announcer. And this is basically how he talked. Like, it was one of those announcers trying to read a book on tape. Yeah, there, there were parts in there, yes, where he did the narrating the, uh, over a scene of himself more than anything. Well, what I mean is he uses a voice kind of like this. And if you ever watch Hobo with a Shotgun, it's going to be this kind of voice. So he's kind of doing a voice like that. And by yeah. the way, it's rough on the vocal cords. I can only imagine how everyday life is for that man. That's practice and a lot of lozenges. Oh, lots of lozenges. And, Howls and, and hot loz- tea. With lemon. Honey. And honey. And lime for no reason. For whatever it takes for you to have more words in that tone of voice. Exactly. Eddie Wilson is a radio DJ holding a pen. <laughs> Keep that in. In okay. theaters this fall. That's pretty good. That Thank you. Good. Okay. There are a couple of scenes, yes, where he's doing the narrating, and one of them, at least at the very end, doesn't quite jive up for what the scene is. But we'll get, we could get to that at the end. Or not. We'll hopefully get to it. I would say, when we're getting into this, it's trying to be the 2000s equivalent of like a 1980s shock movie, essentially, with... Blood and guts and explosions, no boobies. I was surprised. Almost. We almost had boobies. We almost, <laughs> almost completely you exposed. Here, I'm telling you, you had pasties. Eddie just pull, putting his finger up, pointing. But wait a minute, wait there a minute. were almost boobies. I did see there were. Don't you say? Don't say no. There were. You know, we had some mammary mammary action there. Sorry, I I stumble. You can keep that in. It's okay. I will. Don't worry. We're all adults, I think, here. Where should I go with this now? Okay. Where do we go from here? Stuck here? on the... Uh, Alan Parsons Project, which was a type of hovercraft, I believe. Yeah, fine. Sure. I uh, wanted to bring in the fact that when we first see the Punisher logo on a t-shirt, that... See, while I liked wa- that. <laughs> but the way it was just brought in and introduced, you know, he yells it up, his son gives it to, to uh, Frank... And says that the gift shop man told his son it wards off evil spirits. I like that. It gave it a backstory because you really don't have that backstory. It's just he's a guy. He's got a skull on his chest. He punishes. Punishing skulls, I guess. I don't know. But it gives it a backstory. Yeah. And that's that's helpful. It gives a, a unneeded backstory for something. It wasn't really needed, but it was it was appreciated. Yeah, and then he's able to salvage what's left of it after everybody dies and it's the early 2000s. Oh, I need to make a tank top out of and it. We're gonna make something out of it. Oh, and then when he he gears up towards the end, he's now got that logo on a, on a, on a bulletproof vest. Yeah. So here's the Punisher line of uh, apparel. And that T-shirt design is something that lasted a very long time, almost 10 years. When this movie came out in 2004, I remember going to Hot Topic and buying the T-shirt. Okay. And. Fast forward to 2012, they were still selling that version of the Punisher logo. It became that iconic to the point where you could get that shirt still almost 10 years later. You you know, I know they, yes, over time there's subtle changes and updates if if need be, if necessary. I, you know, and I wonder if they're to the point where there's enough versions that you can make a little poster out of the uh, changes in that skull face. Now, would you include the Archie modification from Archie Meets the Punisher? Uh, why not? There's, that's another version. I'm actually surprised that shirt, like, no one, not even a fan has made that. Look, I told you off mic that there's a short miniseries, four issues of this character called the Awesome Slapstick. And in the second issue, there is a Punisher-like character. I be- so he he's everywhere, it seems. Like I said, especially back then. The Overkiller, I believe he's called. But the person that I, I see after the whole, you know, death of the whole family happens and Frank Castle is is quite literally blown into the water off the dock because they've shot him in both legs, uh, st- I think stabbed him, punched him in the head, bleeding, and... Kicked him in the dinghy. Gla- uh, gasoline, the whole deck, and so by, uh, you know, explosion, science... And shattering kaboom! Back into the water. That's right, Marvin <laughs> the Martian. Thank you. But he is rescued by some unnamed... Native, I think. Bob Johnson. Maybe. Who is Bob Johnson? We'll never know. I don't think so. But that you know, it's 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 good that he does find some help as he got himself back to shore and slowly got on the mend. And of course, you see him with uh, with the beard. He he makes his way back to the house and he finds the guns that his father had uh, modified. 
these, uh, I think, mostly black and colored guns with these silver ends on them. They really look badass, and they will be his main or his primary arsenal. You know, how and when he gets the other stuff, we don't necessarily have to get into, but the, uh, the one of the beginning scenes, of course, being the club that John Travolta owns and operates, Saints and Sinners. Sure, it's got his name on it. His name is Saint. So why not have the uh, contrasting name just by virtue of that to begin with? We also have to consider the uh, character of James Weeks, the Green Beret, who was Thomas Jane's friend in in wartime, but who uh, betrays him of a of a sort, right? A big sort, and puts the, you know the the scent onto what happens with the destruction and the killing of his family. There's also the interchange of the the watch that they two they they two actually have share one each of that comes back later and the way the way the killings are subsequently uh unfolding is somewhat believable somewhat eh, okay let's just go along with this perhaps. it's it's over the top yeah. yeah and again this is trying it's i'll say it again i feel like this is a 2000s version of what a 1980s movie was mm-hmm. it's a it's cheesy but it's not you know it's not it's not one of those where it's self-aware. Like, this is around the same time as Jason X, my personal favorite of all the Friday the 13th, by the way. But it doesn't know it's a cheesy movie. It's actually trying to be no. super serious. No, it's trying. And, and when it, and when the word gets back, the newspaper that the Saints, you know, husband and wife see that says, ex-FBI agent Frank Castle killed gangland style, and they toast each other to a score settled, Livia says. And, you know, they first show those Winston diamonds. Uh, and, and she says to John Travolta, I asked you to avenge our son. You did. Well, that's a great reason for her to disrobe and them to have sex. Not that you see that explicitly, but that's like, that's a big turn on, don't you think? Man. Did I stump you right there? It's been my dream to talk about I, John Travolta getting turned on. It's, you know. You know, Eddie, you're like hauling oats. You're making my dreams come true. I uh, I ooh, like ooh. when, when, you know. Frank finds uh, Frank Castle finds that that shirt and is told via con Dios Frank Castle go with God and he turns and says God's gonna sit this one out. I feel this movie doesn't have memorable lines like well, I'm, I'm throwing them at you so I don't know how it, memorable. It's uh, not. You're like you're like like is that really what was said? Yeah, I wrote it down. That's they, what was said. They don't have the impact like. You want the impact? It's when you have that big square block. That's a that's a. Essentially, a landmine that says uh, three simple words: front toward enemy. I don't know. And now here comes Rebecca Romaine Stamos. Is it Eddie? Do you feel this movie has quotable lines? Because I don't. I don't know. When you look at Punisher 1989, I'm sorry, but what the f do you call a hundred and something murders? Work in progress. Work in progress. That's a badass that's line. line. Yep. Like that's yep. it's so. You couldn't even do that in the modern movies now, and like See, it would not be as good. You know, uh, it it might have been the director's prerogative to really not try to go too over the top with the violence. I think so. Which because, in that case, why did you do this movie then? Well, because uh, I don't know. You were trying to reach a mass audience, yeah, and and bring them in without totally getting them out to say, well, this is really over the top, Scarface, or you know, like we will see later with Punisher Warzone. But, oh boy! But um, what's his name? Mickey, one of Travolta's guys, is strung up, bare chested, and he's got the blowtorch and and he's cooking the meat instead. And meantime, he's poking him with a with a popsicle. So we were asked so he's about making, that you know scene. that kind of scene or whatever. And so it's kind of funny in a way. So we were asked about that scene, by the way. And let me direct you to the question that was asked. The question we were asked was asked by Michael Schmidt, who says, The ice pop torture scene in character or strange movie choice Punisher? Now, personally, I feel having that scene, it doesn't scream Punisher to me. That does that seems like something you would see in a PG-13 movie. You're right. It is, it is a watered-down, for sure, thing, and maybe that you, was the intention. Could um, you see Frank Castle doing that in the comics? No. I can't. No, not at all. That is not going to hold a comic book reader's attention. I think it would be funny. Like, I could see Deadpool doing that. Oh, but not a Frank Castle. No. Because Frank Castle is... Not he gets off on that kind of stuff, but it's he. he wants to see the person getting pain inflicted. Not... 
psychological pain. He does physical, not psychological. Frank Castle, the Punisher in the comic books, has usually one facial expression, and his mood and attitude and overall demeanor are the same throughout. Yeah. That I know. You know, in, in later stuff, maybe not. Maybe in the, the Max series, Born, it's a it's a different or more intense When Cosmic version. Ghost Rider, his head is just on fire. <sighs> That's the, the latest. Yes, that, that is what Flame heard. sounds like, Eddie. <laughs> you think you'll... Yeah, I believe so. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna like, go jump. I'm gonna go jump this thing. I like my original Ghost Rider, and there you go. We're John, not to, we're not talking about uh, Nicholas Cage, are we? Yeah. Uh huh. Uh huh. Right. Exactly. The, you do see things like his, meaning Frank Castle's tombstone, being yanked out of the, the cemetery and showing up on the golf course where John Travolta is, because it's five months later. No one's in jail. What's going on? And and what has to make me laugh is, and it was used more than once, the portable fire hydrant scene in front of Livia Saint's car to cause her to get the ticket, to have Frank Castle doing the setup. And this is good Punisher stuff, setting up so it seems like Howard Saint's number one man, who's gay, turns out to, you know, he portrays him as having an affair with his wife. And he is just driven to such a, Jealous rage that he, Howard Saint, kills them both. But we get back to that later. Now, we'd be remiss if we don't talk about the, the char- Russian. Yeah. I knew it. And I know the Russian very well. And when I say the Russian, I mean the actor who plays him, big, sexy Kevin Nash. No words, correct? Just grunts, and it's actually yeah. Kev doing the voice. Now, the reason I know Kev so well is I actually got to host a panel with him, The Life and Times of Kevin Nash, at East Coast Comic Con 2017. And for our, I want to say we're going to do a throwback Thursday for our post for this, talking about it. I'm going to share the photo of myself and Kevin where he too sweets me. But I thought it was a good choice of using him, and I thought using Kevin as the Russian was perfect. He's big, imposing, and interesting story. He has in this short blonde hair, bleach blonde hair. And the reason he has short hair is he actually lost in wrestling a match against the wrestler Chris Jericho, hair versus hair. So he got his hair cut, his long flowing locks, to the short haircut for this movie. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So he went off, was never seen in WWE again for a number of years, but did this movie and, yeah. It's a paycheck. It absolutely is. And one of the questions asked about the Russian, how was, this is from Mike Familetti, how is it that Kevin Nash can take a pipe to the face and stabbed, but dies from being tackled down the stairs? Well, that's the second thing that happened to him that did him in. The first thing was getting splashed with that boiling hot water that caused his face to bubble up. Out of all the things, all the beating he took, he still kept coming. And then finally, that that hot liquid, you know, and that set it up for the tumble his, down the stairs. Well, you could break your neck doing that, so there you go. His face looks like it was made out of bubblegum afterwards. OMG, you didn't want to see that, yeah. So you, it, it looks like already, it looks like ABC bubblegum, already been chewed. Oh, okay. We don't have to incriminate any, any bubblegum company or promote by that means. Well, maybe. But just the Russian, that's all he was called in the credits. And He had no name. That was what he was called in the comics during the Garth Ennis run. The Russian in the red and white striped, horizontally striped shirt. And if I remember correctly, they actually used him a number of times. I believe he got estrogen and developed breasts. The Garth Ennis run was some really, really wacky stuff. Okay. And I will say this. I've gone on record. The Punisher has some of the weirdest comics in history because I think he's a character where you can't take him serious after a while. The Punisher has been turned into a Frankenstein's monster with his body being chopped up and reconstructed. He's turned black. He's had back-to-school specials. He's had... Yeah. He's gone into outer space. He's now become Ghost Rider in outer space. There's a lot of things. So I would say... And I will not say what it is, but even I've had an idea that if, if I was ever contacted by Marvel... Even I have a bizarre Punisher story, and I think it would be fun to do. A You know, a what if. Yeah, well, I'm just glad you encapsulized all the different things that Punisher's been through because it would have taken me a lot longer. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Yeah. The man's punched a polar bear. <laughs> 
which is one of my all time. And you know what? I'm actually going to find the post and just throw it up on our Facebook because I feel nothing can encapsulate the Punisher more than the Punisher punching a polar bear in a Christmas tree. Uh, yeah. I'm just skimming through the, the information that I had gotten and, and seeing how the Punisher loses an eye while fighting a new version of the Vulture, disguising himself as Iron Man, which I believe leads to him being War Machine, and a member of Red Hulk's Thunderbolts. Yeah, that was, I believe, the run from 2012 by Daniel Way. Probably, yeah, yeah. And I'm actually, ha- my first ever original piece of comic book art was from Mark Morales, and it was Deadpool, and it said Deadpool's back, and it was Deadpool's back turned to the viewer. Yeah, well, that would be typical Deadpool fashion, you know. The last thing I want to say about the different incarnations of Punisher having to do with, and I have no clue, on Earth-616 and Earth-1610, the Punisher decimating the Black Dawn, dying from gunshot wounds, and the restoration of Earth-616, and Frank Castle returning from the dead. What a he's, life this man has he's lived. He's been through a lot. Is just a uh, understatement. And he doesn't take painkillers, is what we're told, because the benefit of dulling pain not worth the side effects. Yeah, a lot. In keeping with the way the movie unfolds, we uh, we get up to seeing the uh, scene back with Jimmy, his buddy, his Greenberry buddy, and them clasping hands. But he now does not have the watch on, so there's a little hint as to possibly what's going on. And he figures out that he was the one who, who turned Frank in, sort of, so he could save his own neck. I think it was the Joan character that Rebecca Romaine Stamos said the line about... Um, oh, I just love Rebecca Romaine Latus. If you want peace, prepare for war. I think that's what he uh, he said it to her, actually. And the whole setup, which was you know, kind of clever on, on his part, but just having John Travolta take that hook, line, and sinker, and first killing Quentin, and then his wife throwing her off the bridge, and then her getting run over by the train. Done. From there, Frank infiltrates the Saint household, and through an intercom, one of the the men that's working for Travolta says, and this is where I come in, because the line is, hey, Eddie, more champagne on the double. So I'm so happy Frank you were, punches you got, the intercom. So happy my name is in there. Yeah, you got your SAG card. You were you know you were in a movie. Coming right up, finally yeah, happened. Exactly. Right, and then of course the bottle of champagne at the bottom is rigged with a weight inducing device, almost like the Indiana Jones early stealing of that uh, golden idol. Perhaps it's weight sensitive. That rigged champagne packs uh, quite a punch. He takes though five hits, five gunshot wounds, whether it's close range or just across the room in the whole series of of him killing everybody that's in there, and then the second son with the eight-pound symmetrics that holds up at an at a arm-stretched length. And, uh, you know, hell of a workout. Catching up with Howard saying, saying his name twice outside the building and, and Howard saying, you killed my son, to which Frank Castle replies, both of them. And then he goes kablooey. He went kablooey, yeah. And he says to him, made you kill your best friend, made you kill your wife, and now I've killed you. It's almost like Eric Cartman in the episode of South Park where he Is kills it? Scott Tennerman's parents, this kid, and he feeds him to him. Ha ha, mate, eat your parents. Yeah, it's saying something in the past when it hasn't quite happened yet. And then doing doing the drag, tying, he just happens to pull the wires out from underneath the back bumper of a car, Do ties you... one leg to the car, and puts the car in drive. And that is the most, like, again, it's try- that's trying to be this deathly series, but also kind of humorous scene. I was laughing that entire scene. I'm like, what am I watching? Yeah, we were just watching a lot of cars being blown up by remote and then getting the overhead view of the Punisher logo. And it's kind of we- cool to see that with all the cars on. They're, they're, they're forming that logo in that cool sense. What is it with Marvel movies from the early 2000s, early to mid-2000s, utilizing fire to get a logo to appear? We have that in Daredevil. Yes. We have it in this. I guarantee you that friggin' Phoenix in the middle of X-Men The Last Stand just randomly had a big X in fire. So I think Phoenix did it best or did it first. Well, I'm talking about on the big screen, buddy. memorable thing that would be would be Phoenix. It would be definitely the calling card for that. But okay, Daredevil, you know, it was outlined and that was, okay, it was, it was cute. The year before. Yeah, for Daredevil and the outline of the, of the D interchanged, intercut, overlaying the other D to make that insignia. The thing that I saw, and I don't know what they must have paid for it, is the wild turkey that was seen as his beverage of choice. Oh, wild turkey probably gave them a nice amount of change for this movie. For, right. So to be able to get to, it just featured. to make note of that, that that is 
prevalent throughout. Was that really the only product placement in this entire movie? I the think? one I saw the most that he was partaking with and so on. But you know, it was kind of, and I didn't realize, disturbing. And you saw this to a degree when he called out his Green Beret partner, James Weeks, for what it was, and got him to guilt-riddenly kill himself, pull the trigger, which he did with one, giving him one bullet for that gun, sitting in the chair, and he, and he does it out of guilt. And then, after Frank Castle has killed and taken his revenge, punishment on, on everything, has his own weapon and contemplates pulling the trigger to end his own yeah. life so he can probably, he, the flashback is telling me, so he can be with his wife again. Frank, sort of. no, no, we have sequel potential, sequel potential. So, uh, you know, so that's kind of kind of like going going out there, unless it's trying to, you know, show a humanity part of him, because he really didn't, I guess, want to be pointed in this direction to do all this, but... You know, he had his reasons, and we saw them, and they, they were, nothing was being done by enforcement and so on. The thing that I, I didn't like at the end, in a sense, was wherever it was, in Tampa, I guess, Park has his car. You, you zoom in on this. I assume it's a sunrise happening versus a sunset. The sun also rises. Where, yeah. Isn't that a, a novel of some sort? Hemingway. Yes. Thank you. Okay. But having a little narration there at the end, and he's parked on this bridge, which has absolutely no traffic going across it. <laughs> I like how that's the thing you point out. And <laughs> I know it's the weird things, but then of course it just ending him saying, "Call me the Punisher." Now, actually, one thing you kind of glossed over was the usage of music in this movie. And obviously, I've already discussed the fart rock in this movie. But one of the things in this movie that really caught my eye ear was, maybe yeah You're talking music, so it could be your yeah. ear. Okay was the use of Mark Coley's In Time. And that was the song played by the man in the guitar, with the guitar in the restaurant. Okay. And that song became a really big deal after this movie came out. This was That was a very popular song for a certain amount of time, to the point where it, it did permeate pop culture. Mm. They would use this actually going back to the wrestling connection, and this movie was heavily promoted on WWE television at the time of this movie coming out because also they had to deal with Lionsgate at the time. So easy promotion for them. Mm. But they even used in time for the professional wrestler, The Undertaker, for a video package for him at a WrestleMania. Yeah, I'm unaware of those, but this is a good enlightenment here. But almost 10 years later. Yeah, well. Where that song still, one, held up, and two, was deemed appropriate to use in something fairly recent and what's old is new again exactly and even then it was still kind of an old song it's a music reboot now i guess we should wrap it up a little yeah what i was noticing among the names at the end during the during the credits was avi arad correct i said oh he had something to do with this too i've seen that name before yeah he he had a lot to do with marvel up until i believe the birth of the mcu okay and yeah just it was it was this movie is a time capsule in a lot of ways of what Marvel films used to be. And I would say it was a sense of trying to find itself and also drifting away from the source material in ways that both hindered and helped it at the same time. Yeah. Even on a similar tangent, the branch of service that Frank Castle came from, what was it, FBI in the movie? But... Originally, he was a United States Marine Corps Force Reconnaissance person, but they also person. have him. But they also have him, you know, being um, connected to being in Vietnam, at least in the comics, right? Which was of a time, timely, no reference intended to the company, right? To the company, a timely, a timely reference, and uh, on, on a timeline appropriate that it be from that conflict. So I guess now is the time that you and I should start talking about the overall our overall opinions of this movie. I guess I'll go first because I'm the most vocal about this movie. Mm -hmm. Like I said, I loved this movie growing up. Maybe it was the edgy teenager in me at the time, but it was a badass movie and it was just it was cool. It was a cool thing to watch and it hasn't aged that well. And maybe it's because 
I'm spoiled by the MCU and also the recent John Bernthal portrayal of the character on Daredevil and The Punisher. Mm. But it's not as great as I remember. And to be completely honest, everyone overhypes Thomas Jane as The Punisher. He's okay. He's not the best thing. And even I'll say it, and I'm probably going to get some hate for this, Lundgren was a better Punisher than him. That's just me. That is just you. Yeah, yeah. I I could not connect with this. It was, it felt like it was a, everyone's trying to help out the Punisher, and he's just this lovable guy who still kills. <laughs> like, it just came across as that movie to me. And I'm sorry, but there aren't that many redeeming qualities of Frank Castle. Frank Castle is a murderer. Frank Castle is a piece of, if we're being honest. He kills. And at the end of the day, to quote Michael Zapsik from Comic Book Men, the Punisher is not a hero. He is not a superhero. Superheroes don't kill. That part I totally agree with. But the piece of duty <laughs> comment, I can't necessarily go along with. He kills bad guys. Yes, just like just like in, in the Arnold Schwarzenegger movie, True Lies. Yeah, but they were all bad. But again, somebody can be bad and there can be a quote-unquote sense of redemption towards them. They can learn from their mistakes. They can but, be. This does not explore or go that route. And not just that, Eddie, but also does that really make for a great comic book story? No. Uh, golly gee, Mr. Punisher, I promise. Uh, I promise I'll be good. Okay, Billy, you go off. Well, that's like this character, Mickey, who got the popsicle torture. Yeah. Who was working for the other guy and, and him saying, I hate the saints. You know, I hate those. I hate all of them. He's just a he's just a, a a a character actor that you know plays both sides, if you will, and has his purpose throughout the course of playing both sides of this of the film. And if I'm not mistaken, does survive it. Actually, before I get to my overall final review of the film, because I just gave my thoughts on it, and I will give my score, yada yada yada. But actually, I had a question for you because we completely glossed over this. This is one of a handful of Marvel movies, and there's a number of them, like maybe a little more than a handful, a smattering even, where there is no Stan Lee cameo. And it makes sense. There we go. Yeah. Stan really only is responsible, I believe, for the name The Punisher. And if I'm incorrect, tweet at me, at Peter Malick, tell me I'm an idiot. No, I think I remember that story, him even saying that in one show viewing. He should of, be a Punisher or something. Yeah, why don't we call him, you know. He take he takes he he punishes the people who are bad. He, yeah, the Punisher. And what I want to know is, there was no Stanley cameo in this, and it made sense. But given that we're all these years later used to that, what I want to know, Eddie, is could a Stanley cameo have worked for this? If it was thought of, first of all, we're we're not sure of. Would this have been the kind of movie? I feel like this actually would have, because there were lighthearted moments of brevity with you know characters. Yeah, like there, there were, and so something could have been worked in. If you've got the popsicle torture scene, and what a couple. Frank, of let me sell you some popsicles. Yeah, that's it. <laughs> F and Celsior, because it's an R-rated movie, and Stan gets at least one F bomb. If he so is inclined, yes, and he may. Enough F and said. Not to now you now you now you're interrupting the classic lines, and that's. There's no alternate universe here for this. This is dropping f bombs in the middle of everything. I'm Stan effing Lee. Yeah, it's just another thing that's not going to work. So you know, are you effing deaf or something like that might be might be a better use. But yeah, if you scripted it out, perhaps there could have been a, maybe even a group scene where he was. I am group viewed. I am group viewed uh, in a in a in again a public scene somewhere, and you notice that. Ooh, there he is. Might not have, do, have been doing anything. Ooh, Stan Lee. Particular. Hey, that's, yeah. Hey, guys, look. Guy, yeah. Dan. He's your in, man, Lee. He's in, he's in this one, too. I can't believe it. Is he going to shake hands with Frank? I love how your nerd voice says, I can't believe. <laughs> the nerd is always in disbelief. That's right. And always with that high pitch. So now, overall, with this movie, it doesn't age that well. And I've heard a lot of people go on saying, "This is he's the Punisher, he's this, he's that, he's he's one of the best portrayals of the character. I don't know. I, I don't think I've heard either way. I've heard vehemently defended to the point where the fan film, hashtag Dirty Laundry, came out and he reprised the role. And it was a much more gruesome film. Wow. And For all ten minutes that it was? And it was very violent. We uh, yeah, you were actually not aware of this fan no, film, not until the beginning of this podcast. And 
Eddie, tell the people at home what you thought of it. Over-the-top, Deadpool-type violence. Every time something was struck to a body part, a gush of blood <laughs> resulted, mostly due to, a, due to a bottle of Jack Daniels, which miraculously didn't break. But I guess it's a good sturdy glass So basically, these are made out of. So basically, that what you're getting at was this was if Gallagher was an assassin. If Gallagher was an assassin, okay, right. No watermelons were injured in the filming of this, okay. Or sledgehammers, for that matter. He doesn't want to get involved in the scene that is unfolding. He's just come out of where he's been sleeping, I guess, this van. And he's got a laundry basket, and he's going into the laundry to, to do to do laundry. Simply put, nothing seems to be hidden under underneath disguise or whatever. But there's some violence that's happening as he's trying to attempt to do this. A gang of guys going after, well, a group of girls, streetwalker girls, it appears, but targeting one in particular. And then a, a young boy who's walking through the neighborhood and being stopped and saying, you know, you're, you're, you're coming through my neighborhood. You either have to pay or you have to do something for me. And the kid says, I'm not going to run drugs for you. And so him being kind of pushed around. And so inevitably, Frank does get involved. He goes, he goes across from the laundromat to the neighborhood grocery store, grocery liquor store, and buys and drinks a yoo Has an interchange, a dialogue with the owner of the store, who apparently is crippled from possibly after serving a couple of tours in, in a war and now coming home to what's happening in this neighborhood. Uh, but then eventually buying a bottle of Jack Daniels after admitting he's been sober for six months, but using the Jack Daniels as a weapon and beating up and just blood. Everything, every time he strikes someone with, whether it's in the back of a head, he's broken an arm, he's stepped on an ankle, gush of blood there, everything, pour the bottle of Jack Daniels on the, I guess the leader of this gang, lights the lighter, puts it down in front of him on the floor, but doesn't do that. That happens when after he walks away, the girl that was getting harassed, beat up, and so on, and you see a big whoosh of flame that whoosh, he's burned. He's done. Nobody makes it out of this one. Nobody. Nope, nobody nope. gets out alive. Not a bit. Not the bad ones, anyway. Now. Tough. Dirty laundry. I want to rewind back to something that you brought up, and it's accurate to what the Punisher character is. Punisher lives out of a van, essentially. Now, he really doesn't have, I guess, one specific location because he's always got to be on the move. That's right. What I'd like to know is what happens when he has to have his license and inspection done for his vehicle? Like, I want to see the one comic where he's sitting in the DMV getting ready to renew everything, you know, get his his, uh, yearly inspection on his vehicle. I want to see all that. Yeah. You'll see that at the the end of a Deadpool movie. I think that'd be great. Just a one shot of, you know, him standing in DMV just getting annoyed. And then, you know, he gets annoyed at the DMV clerk, and he's just like, I wish I could, err. And then he's oh, never mind, I'm in public, and you really didn't do anything for me to warrant punishing you. Err. Walks away. Without the dialogue part, yeah, I would see that too. But I digress. Fifth time. Yeah, that's just a, uh, a strange what if. It'd be a terrible comic, wouldn't it? I, yeah. Marvel, hit me up. There are a couple of what if titles that do involve the Punisher. They will accompany a future posting, such as what if the Punisher worked for S.H.I.E.L.D.? Well, now, Eddie, what if Peter Melnick gave his review of the Punisher 2004? And I'm glad I asked that. I'll bet you are. If I had to give this movie a rating, out of five, two and three quarters. Oof. Ah. And this used to be a four out of five from me. Yeah. This is one of those movies, the rewatch, it just, it doesn't hold up as strong as it used to, and... I guess it strays a little bit too far from what the Punisher character is and elements of it. But I do like, in some ways, the element of, but Punisher, we're your family with this band of misfits. And it does make sense. But then again, if this was actually in the Punisher comic, if somebody goes, but Punisher, we're our family. He probably would have punched them immediately or something. It's like, because yeah, that came out of nowhere with uh, with that the, the character that had the uh, the piercings, three, three lip piercings, the eyebrow piercing, the nose piercing, and them all being taken out. And his reasoning was because we're family. They took to him more than he was willing to take to them. Whether it was from the scene that they had that they had dinner, 
but brought there under the premise of there being uh, some violence happening, because otherwise he wouldn't have, and they read that right, correctly, excuse me, to entrusting him with uh, essentially their lives and coming to his, his aid by not exposing where he was. He was in a bad way, getting beat up by the Russian and the rest of Travolta's, uh, Howard Saint's men coming to make sure that the job was finished. Eddie, what do you think of this movie? Uh, well, I think of this movie initially having seen it on DVD and I think to some degree on one of the networks in a, in a rerun in years past. This is one that doesn't come back, I don't think. Hasn't been seen in the uh, cavalcade of Marvel movies. It doesn't crop up very often. It used to back in the day, though. Well, but this is before the influx of the MCU. Yeah, yeah. So things like this have gone by the uh, the wayside, whether it's just for the content itself or not. This could be a popcorn movie. Yeah. Where you're just getting it for face value entertainment, taking your mind out of your everyday life, out of reality, and then you go back to your life, etc. So, and it's not to meant to be too cerebral, not to be taken too, too seriously. So there's... It's guns and explosions. There's the forgiving part of it because people like action movies and doesn't have to be all Arnold Schwarzenegger and, and Sylvester Stallone and so on, right? Okay. Those are my impressions. That's a Peter Peter Melnick impression of two same... It's like it's like Beavis and Scooby-Doo, the same laugh. <laughs> okay. Hey, my impressions are slightly better. Okay. There was a little differentiation, but mm. I think in light of our discussion of this, yes, I brought down what I thought was a pretty good review of it, rating of it, rather, down to below a rating of four. Below, I say, and I think I'm settling on it being a three and a quarter. You're like the Oprah of <laughs> reviews. Everybody you get gets, a good review. <laughs> everybody gets a car. No, I'm kidding. I can't <laughs> afford that. <laughs> but yeah, I just, it doesn't hold up as strong. It's passable, but I honestly had more fun watching Punisher 89. And that's more for the fact of... Oh. It's not self-aware, but it's also a product of its time where you can watch it as that. And not take it as seriously, I suppose. Yeah. I, yeah, so striking a balance of the seriousness of it and and the making some lighter lighter of the situation scenes, hard balance to try and strike. It didn't quite, uh, quite come and measure up to that. But can we go back and, and try to f- figure out, may, I don't know, did, did you have an idea of what, possible role Stan the man could have had in this? Passerby, maybe a weapon salesman, mm. gun dealer. I think that would be funny. Now, that, this this is a kind of gun you should have. Yeah. It'll blow a mother away. That is quite possibly. Okay, I like that. Now, if you were to be worked into it, yeah. Okay. With the role of the Punisher, on our Facebook page, Luke Gourlay asked, were there any actors who might have played the Punisher? And that's a very interesting question because we don't know who could have, but we do know, obviously, who did. Mm. But over time, maybe actors who could have played the Punisher, I feel, based on looks alone and seeing him in the movie Baby Driver with that dirty, sleazy kind of character, I feel John Hamm could have been a good Punisher. Mm. Possibly, yeah. Nothing's coming to mind, but what else is new? (laughs) We have... Thomas Jane's portrayal, and like I said, a lot of people highly, you know, tout him as one of the best. Uh, I, I can't say that. I can't say he's the best because, and I'm not just saying with the portrayal by John Bernthal. Bernthal's portrayal, nutso, absolutely nutso, mm-hmm. and you have to have a character who believes he's doing what's right. He believes killing is right, and he's doing, you know, the right thing. I don't see that aspect, that portion of Thomas Jane's character. And I kind of do. He's That's his drive. That's his motivation uh, for, for doing this. And these are the people that were involved in his family being killed. So that's his mission. And that's where, you know, it, it comes full circle, I think, when you get to the point where he's that final scene with the wild turkey and with the gun and him contemplating taking his own life. He's gotten his, he's done his due diligence and, Balancing the scale, sort of, eye for an eye, life for life, whatever the case, and putting it into that kind of perspective, that he's not above, in a sense, everything that's happened. So, I don't know if it, it can kind of, sort of humanize, if that's the right word, him, 
in a sense. So I can see where a lot of people would say, oh yeah, Punisher, Thomas Jane. If they weren't privy to a Bernthal character, as I have yet to be exposed to. But having met him wearing a Punisher costume, there's something to be said for that. To be continued. So now speaking of to be continued, our Punisher rewatch continues next episode with... Punisher Warzone. But in the meantime, how can people connect to us on social media? How? Go on Facebook.com slash... The Marvelists. Give us a like on there. Go on Twitter and follow us collectively at... The Marvelists. Give us a follow individually at Peter Melnick, yourself... At EWilson959. You can follow us on Instagram collectively as... The Marvelists. You can also follow myself on Instagram at Peter Melnick and yourself... Eddie9193. Now also drop us a line in our email bag, themarvelous at gmail.com. Questions, comments, strongly worded letters, we will answer them. We'll take them at least. You may not like the answer, but you're going to get it. We'll do our gosh darndest by gum. Golly gee whiz, Batman. Wrong show. Wow. But listen to us on Stitcher Radio, available for all iOS and Android devices. And in the meantime, go on stitcher.com slash premium and use the promo code at checkout. Marvelists. And get a free one month of Stitcher Premium. And you'll be able to listen to a wide, 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 wide variety of content, including the back catalog of Earwolf, the WTF archives, Weird Al Yankovic's concert archive, and, of course, Marvel's Wolverine, The Long Night. And when you're on iTunes, go on iTunes, rate, review, and subscribe. Share this show with your friends on social media and let them know you're listening to us. Let them know, hey, we dig what Eddie and Peter are doing and we want you to listen as well. Because believe me, we actually have a back catalog right now of content that we still haven't released. There's a lot of stuff in our quote-unquote archives that we are hoping you'll be able to dig. We have interviews with some comic book legends. We have some interviews with some television personalities, both inside and outside of the MCU. And yeah. We've got some folks who have cosplayed. Exactly. There's a lot of stuff that we want you to listen to, and you will listen to. So, for Peter Melnick, I'm Peter Melnick. And I'm Eddie Wilson. Excelsior!